Live from the Mecca Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we try and get all people to walk toward the love of Jesus Christ. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for life and grateful for all that you uh, do. We pray that uh, our hearts will be open to truth. Forget the stupid things I'll say, but uh, let us know what you want us to know and help bridge gaps between the rancor that exists between people on this earth today. We pray that we can contribute to that through shows like this. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, for the rest of the month of August, I'm going to openly talk with you as a preface to our Making Another Pass by Mormonism, the institution. And I'm asking you to hear me out. This is part two tonight, last week, part one. We invite you to call in. It's a live show. If you're so inclined, the number will be on your screen as I talk throughout uh, our t- short time together. Your insights and your comments, uh, whether they're pro or con, doesn't matter. They add more color and flavor to people's perspectives, give people a better chance to think and see other sides. So believer, non-believer, whatever you are, doesn't matter. Give us a call if you're interested. Last week, I introduced to you Uh, a little historical fact from my own life that I possessed naturally kind of kind feelings toward most people groups as a kid, which were uh, eradicated out of me over time by the cultures that were in my life. Uh, By the time I went to Sri Lanka, which we talked about last week, I was confronted with a conflict that was partially resolved when I was sitting in a a Jaguar limousine in the back of it, surrounded by a third world populace and Elvis Costello's What's So Funny About Peace, Love and Understanding came on the radio. Isn't it really paradoxical that our artists and poets like uh, Elvis Costello, of course, he's not the only one, others, um, they promote peace, love and understanding among each other, but institutional religions who ought to promote peace, love, and understanding are some of the biggest suggestors of uh, hate, war, and bigotry. When it comes down to it, religions have been some of the biggest purveyors of those three ugly words. Whether you agree with me or not, I personally take the following as uh, my stand as a serious student of Scripture. These are the things I believe coming to you today. First, I believe that God has had the victory over sin and death uh, on our behalf through his son for the whole world, whole world. Uh, I see God as victorious, not as getting beaten by demons or devils or uh, human beings or angels. None of that stuff's going to thwart a God's plan to save us from ourselves. Secondly, and as a result of this victory that he had through his son, this world, the world that we live in today, right now, has been reconciled completely to God. I believe this now from my study of scripture, um, that sin and death, spiritual death, has been completely eradicated by the finished work of his only begotten. Uh, The punishment for our failures as human beings has been meted out upon his son. And the price is paid some 2,000 years ago. I am convinced that that work was so effective and victorious 
that we don't have to worry about that anymore. Now is the age today has been the age of peace, love, and understanding for those who will allow it. If you'll allow it, it will be, at least in your own life. Third, having come back to get his church, as he promised, in 70 AD with reward and destruction, and he took that little church which the gates of hell did not prevail against. It was under apostolic leadership. I submit that all human beings ever since have and are constantly being invited by the Holy Spirit to let God write his law upon their hearts and upon their minds. And that's because that's what God says he will do. I will write my laws on individuals, hearts and minds in this day that we're living in. And he, what are his laws? To love. Love him, love others. And so he writes that upon people's hearts in this age that we live in. In the face of all this, I submit then that faith is subjectively, subjectively lived and understood today as a result of what God has done through his son. And that all vestiges of material religion, uh, all of its enforcements, all of its politicking, uh, its dogmas, its cultures, its warfare, and its institutionalized demands for money and conformity were done away with once and for all by God himself through the finished work of his son some 2,000 years ago. Again, the Bible presents this clearly. Not me. The Bible uh, presents it. Many people see it when they read it. Uh, it was authored by him, and if you want to see it, you will. Finally, I submit that all of this describes the new heaven and the new earth that God said would be in place once his son finished his, his gig. The new heaven and the earth, new earth, which is all spiritual. And the new Jerusalem, which scripture says is on high. No more a Jerusalem here in brick and mortar and dust. No more donkeys and all of that stuff. There's a new Jerusalem, which is described in Scripture, and it's spiritual, and genuine believers, people who seek God, are members of the kingdom here and there when they die. Those who don't care about God, who have no interest in Him, they probably won't care about Him there, but He loves them still. He blesses them still. He's not going to punish them anymore. He is going to love them and receive them into the heavens when they die. They just probably won't be part of that new Jerusalem that is for his believers. That's what the scripture says. All of this means that because of Christ, every person now, this is the way I see the world because of scripture, every person for the past 2,000 years have been free to live as they want to live, to do what they want to do. God has given them and gifted them with a life. And he bestows the rain upon the just and the unjust. And there, we are all free to live for him and his ways, if that's where you're inclined, or to not. That's up to you. Uh, he's made it this way. And therefore, for those who have decided or chosen to follow him, there's no reason on this earth for us to look down on others who haven't. There's no reason for us to argue with anybody else about religion. There is no purpose on earth because God is reigning in individuals' hearts. 
and he's reigning through love. Now, the implication of all this stuff is pretty far-reaching, and it's, it's absolutely biblical, and if you're interested, we have a number of books, even some that are on audio tape, that are free to you. We have pamphlets, we have books. You go to our website, hotm.faith, you go to where our books are, and you can download any of them that will help you understand this stuff if you're interested in hearing it. Unfortunately, most human beings um, have refused to see this economy of God in place um, and have instead tried to impose religion, material, objective religion between individuals and God. That started 2,000 years ago too. That men, mostly men then, said, you know, it can't be this easy. That Jesus couldn't have done it all. We need to carry forward the church with apostles and authority and discipline. And I mean, we read about, and they have created religion along the way to insert itself between what God has established between individuals. It's a fascinating fact about human beings that we so desperately seek security and certainty in our lives that most of us will glom on to systems and cultures that claim authority and they, we will make them our go-to, especially when it comes to God, instead of listening to his spirit who is over the church, who is over the body of Christ around the world who governs us in our hearts and in our minds as individuals. We're so fearful of that responsibility that God has given anyone who wants to have a relationship with him that we step backward and go back into Old Testament and some New Testament constructs of material organized religion and the authorities that were in place during that day instead of letting peace, love, and understanding dwell. Have you ever gotten so wrapped up in something so deeply? It can be anything. It can be a crossword puzzle, you know, uh, that you actually lose sight of the fact that there is another world out there that's spinning and going along that thrives under a completely different set of rules and mindsets and ways. And you're so ensconced in what you're in that you cannot really fathom that anyone thinks differently than you do. Have you ever had that happen to you? That happened to me when I grew up in Southern California as a waspy SoCal kid who thought everybody in the world thinks like me. Everyone in the world likes surfing. Everybody in the world likes tacos. Everybody in the world thinks like a Mormon. Yeah, that's just my mindset. I don't think of the outside world at all. A person can become so fixated in the drama of their marriage or family. They can become so enmeshed in their neighborhood and the infighting and the gossip that goes around, they don't even realize that across town is a completely different world for them, let alone across the state, let alone the country, let alone the world, let alone from one religion or another. You can't do it. You're so uh, zoned in on what you think is important. And 
what we do is we actually allow ourselves to be convinced that God himself has given his stamp of approval on our views, our little microscopic, our little narrowed understanding of the world. We get so wrapped up in it, we think God is telling us, you have the right way, buddy, and nobody else has the right way at all. Most who have ever immersed themselves in a religious practice a denomination, know how easy it is to slip into that mindset and to actually wander about thinking that you have it right and everybody else has it wrong. Groups and religions tend to thrive on people embracing this mindset and getting this tunnel vision because it it helps them um, look superior in the eyes of their membership and, and it helps... Uh, them exist when the people become so involved in the system that they're in that they can't see anything else. I want to illustrate the value of stepping back, of forcing yourself to step back from what you have stared at so closely, believing that you're being open-minded. And I want to illustrate it by going to the board and for a little illustration here to talk about uh, this stuff. All right. I'm going to move like a cat on a hot tin roof right now. All right. So you can see that at the top, I've put Roman Catholicism. The reason I did that is because they're the guys who launched into the need to establish organized religion. Let me just put it to you this way. God had totally destroyed Jerusalem. Material Jerusalem was Uh, blasted by the Romans in 70 AD. Its temple leveled to the ground. Not one stone was upon another. Its people, 1.1, 1.2 million Jews were slaughtered and the rest were sold off into the diaspora and they were put into slavery. Totally wiped them out. In that destruction, he wiped out their genealogy. They don't know who's who anymore because of that wiping out of the genealogy that was stored in the temple. All right. Their priesthood was gone and everything that had to do with 1500 years of material religion. Jews were the consummate material religionists. Everything was material, material sacrifices, writing on scrolls, the proper dress, what you eat. Everything was material. God said, you guys rejected my son. I'm going to institute a better way. And he destroyed that whole system of material religion then, completely, right? And then in the scripture, like I said, God said, now we're going to do something different. I'm going to write on people's hearts and and nothing's going to remain that can be shaken anymore. I'm going to do this all between individuals, right? Well, up pops Roman Catholicism around 150 uh, to 300 um, AD, depending on how you want to look at it. And these guys, they start coming up with, guess what? More doctrines written on papers, extracted from scrolls, more priesthoods, more this and more that, completely ignoring the fact that God said, my spirit is going to reign over individual hearts. All right. And so what happens when these guys start rolling forward? And over the years, they roll forward, they roll forward. Well, Another group pops up 
in, I think the year, yeah, 1054. This is called the Great Schism. And the Great Schism was, and I don't remember how to spell schism, but I'm going to use a K. The Great Schism was orthodoxy, Greek, uh, we'll just call it Eastern Orthodoxy, Greek, Russian, all the orthodoxies from the East, they said, you know, we don't agree with what the Catholic Church has done in terms of traditions, in terms of doctrine, in terms of practice, so we're going to break off. That's why it's called the Great Schism. So we get a tug-of-war between Roman Catholicism and uh, orthodoxies. And now there are, uh, I don't know how many, let's just say a million uh, Greek ortho, uh, or Eastern Orthodox and a billion Catholics, I don't know. But the fight is there between them. Tug of war. We're right, you're wrong. We're right, you're wrong. It all began right here and we have this tug of war between these two, okay? And so then what happens? In 1530, and I know you guys know most of this, we have what's called, and I'm just giving it that date, the Protestant protesting against orthodoxy. Protestant Reformation comes along, and they say, you know what? We don't like what you're doing. We don't like what you're doing. We think that this can be handled in a better way. We don't need your priesthood. We don't need any of this stuff. We believe in the solas. And they come up with these solas. And, and one of the solas is sola scriptura that says the Bible itself will teach us what we need to know. What have they done? They've gone back to written words. The Bible will tell us what we need to know from God. Now, it's true. The Bible is inspired, I believe, and it does have great stuff in it, and we read it. We study it every week, twice a week here at campus, and, and verse by verse, and love it, but it's written with ink. It's written on paper, and it's just another vestige of material religion. Well, the Protestants, they, they didn't cut it completely. They never said a sola spiritus. They just said sola scriptura and all the other four solas. And so what that has done is it's caused us to have 40,000 denominations that are Protestant in nature. And they are warring against orthodoxy and they're warring against Catholics. So we've got a billion Protestants. We've got a billion Catholics. Let's say we have a half a billion Orthodoxy. They all are saying they love Jesus. Many of them do. They all are following Jesus or trying to. They all believe and have faith in Jesus, but they attack each other. Why? Because they are ignoring what God did at 70 AD by erasing material religion. And they've tried to reestablish it with their own little purviews. And so we have fighting and schisms. We've had deaths. And in fact, even within Protestantism, we've had deaths among these 40,000 uh, denominations. Killing each other over what people believe. Right? So then in the 19th century... We'll say about 1790, so it's not 19, so about to 1820 and then on beyond that. We have the Restoration Movement. 
And guess what these guys said? They said, you know what? We don't like the Catholics. We don't like Eastern Orthodoxy. We don't like all their praying to Mary and all their incense and their robes and their priesthoods. There's some things we like about the Protestant Reformation and the 40,000, there weren't 40,000 denominations then, but all their different denominations are kind of confusing to us. And because it's so confusing and they're all warring with each other, this guy named Alexander Campbell pops up and he says, we need to restore the true church of Jesus Christ back to the earth. So Alexander Campbell, he gives a bunch of insights on, on how to do it. I hope that's how you spell his name. And then following from Campbell, we have Joseph Smith. He comes up and he says, no, we have the angels who are coming back and giving us books and telling us what is the true doctrine to follow. And then we have the Jehovah's Witnesses. And then we have the Seventh-day Adventists. And then we have the uh, Christian scientists and all sort of restorationist movement types, Right. And what do they do? They are fighting against these guys and they're fighting against these guys and they're fighting against these guys. And the Protestants, gosh, they hate the Restorationists. They can't stand them. And so they jump full bull uh, on them and they call them a cult and they call them, you know, heretics and they say that they're going to hell. And we have people in all of these movements who love Jesus. Now, you can't tell me they don't. Why are they spending their Sundays and doing the things they're doing? Sure, they might be trying to earn their way to heaven and all these other factors, but they have an interest in God at least. Maybe they're trying to work their way. I don't know. But there are people, some people in every one of these things that are saying, God, we want to know you. Jesus, we want to understand what you've done for us. You got it? So the interesting thing about this, I'm going to go sit back down. Go back to the Old Testament to Jesus, go back to his apostles, to all of them and what they said about the end of their world, where objective, materially-based religion was symbolically represented by the nation of Israel and the Jews, and all material approaches were destroyed in 70 AD. Destroyed. Go back to what God said he would do once everything was destroyed. He said, I can't do it until it's destroyed, but it was, I will destroy it. And once I've destroyed it, I am going to make relationship between me and man individual. I am going to write my laws on the hearts of those who love me and seek me, and we will have a relationship. And I don't give a crap. That's not quoting God. If you want to go to the Catholic Church, or you want to go to the Eastern Orthodox, or you want to practice the Protestants, or you want to jump over to a Restorationist Church, you want to believe all the hocus-pocus from any of them, you can do that. Maybe you were brought up in it. Maybe mom and dad did that, and you were just feel like that's fine, whatever. But if I've written on your heart... You're mine, I'm yours, and we have a direct relationship, and our relationship is subjectively understood. Meaning, if you think it's okay to have a shot of whiskey at night, you have that shot of whiskey. And if you don't think it's okay to have that shot of whiskey, you don't have that shot. It's all up to you, the individual, that God said he would do it, 
And he said, I'm going to shake. He says this in Hebrews. I will shake everything so heaven, so strongly that's on earth and in heaven. I will shake it so badly that the only thing that will remain once I've shaken it is what cannot be shaken at all. Now, can men and their priesthood be shaken? Yeah, they molest kids and they give bad advice and they do all sorts of things. That's called a shakable kingdom. Can a material church be shaken? Yeah, an earthquake can shake it, and so can the financing. Can all the doctrines be shaken and upturned and overturned? They can all be done. That's been written. We have different versions of the Bible. Even the Bible's been shaken up. But you cannot shake when God writes on your heart and on your mind. That is not shakable because it's directly from him to you, right? individuality. You're going to die alone. You're going to go to God alone. And I don't think he's going to say, did you attend mass? Did you, did your priest wear the cloaks and you ensured that it was in the right order? Were you baptized? Did your foot come up? Did you pay tithes? Did you pay tithes? God's not saying any of that junk. He's going to say, I wrote my laws on your heart and your mind. Or he's going to say, yeah, you didn't really want me. It's okay. Come on over here and uh, let's keep going on. You see, the faith is entirely subjective. Entirely. And this line terrifies pastors and preachers of orthodoxies. They hate it. They don't see it. They think we're still in the age where the church that Jesus established needs to somehow be practiced materially because Jesus is still going to come back and he's going to do this or that. He established this new heaven and this new earth and this new Jerusalem. It's all new. And it's an eternal spiritual kingdom that's not going to go away. And it is operated by peace, love, and understanding. That is the fuel in the machine called the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. It's not these things. That stuff is antiquated. It's dastardly. It's ineffective compared to what God has. So what we have on that board is not love. Jesus gave two commandments, and what I just described up there is not love. It's not conducive to love. It's not conducive to freedom. All of them are trying to trap people and to get them to myopically focus in on their little life so they don't look outside at the world around them and try to love other people who are not like them. They ironically promote the antithesis to Christian love without even trying. I know they'll preach it. They'll get up at their podium and say, peace, love, understanding, but you can't love the homosexuals. But you can't do this. Ah, you can't do that. Uh, that person needs to be disciplined and not and shunned. And, and we need to take a strong co- coercive action against that brother. And all this stuff, instead of trusting that the Holy Spirit is working on individuals, on their hearts, by God, in this new heaven and this new earth. See, his love by and through the Spirit transcends all the malarkey and it opens people up to being able because it's sans doctrine 
It opens people up to being able to set aside their prejudices and biases and to look at an individual and say, I don't care what you choose to do with your life. I don't care what course you take, where you walk, where you go to church, or if you go to church. I will love you with the way Jesus and the Bible teaches me to love. And that means with gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, attention, selflessness, genuineness, generosity, and all these things, self-effacing, humility. That is my approach to you, no matter who you are. You step into that stuff on the board, you step into that, you will truncate, you will cut off your ability to love everybody. That's why God didn't establish a system like any of those things up on the board. He did not. And he tells us so in the scripture that we trust. He says it plainly. In his name, I am calling and have been calling on all Christians to set aside man-made religiosities of every kind and join the Christian revolution to unconditionally love all people with the characteristics of love that we read about in Scripture. And that means kindness and gentleness and long-suffering and patience, et cetera, et cetera. So in our specific focus, which is on the LDS now, we're making another pass at the LDS church. After everything I've just said, the approach we've used in the past may have been beneficial, I don't know. Some of it has. But in my estimation, based on what we see around us, we have to change this. We have to change the way we've been doing it. Why? Because they've only grown in power and wealth and membership since 1830. And and right at 1830, they were receiving our kinds of criticism toward them. So it hasn't worked. It's had the opposite effect. So for argument's sake, let's first admit that when it comes to organized religion and people groups as a whole, we can take organized religion and people groups as a whole and we can separate them into two categories. We can take groups that include Jesus in their lives and in their doctrine, if it's an organized religion, and we can take people groups who don't include Jesus in their lives or in their doctrine. We can divide the world up in that way, okay? Look at the board again. All of the groups, and there are hundreds, there are thousands of them that we could have listed at any one of those four quadrants. Every one of those groups on that board, 50,000 of them plus, all include Jesus in their mix. Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, Christian scientists, Mormons, Catholics, Orthodoxy, and Protestant Reformed multi-thousand churches all include some semblance of Jesus in their approach. Let's be fair. Let's just start off by being fair. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does see Jesus as the Son of God. A different kind, sure, talk about that, but they do see him as that. They do believe he was born of a virgin. They do believe he was resurrected. They do believe that uh, he rose from the grave and that uh, they do try, in kind of an odd way sometimes, to teach their members to follow him. 
We have to admit that. Did you notice in the opener that the pictures that were depicted there, that Cassidy included art and iconography from every religious group that's on that board? Did you notice any uh, exclusive LDS paintings in that introduction? She did that for a reason. She did it to show that Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. Now, our friends on the board want to say that's not true. That's why we have all those lines fighting with each other. No, 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 no. But Jesus is Jesus in the mind of someone who's seeking to know and follow him. He's a victorious Jesus. Our inability to grasp him perfectly, ontologically or soteriologically, doesn't matter to him because none of us see clearly who and what he is. None of us perfectly see clearly, no matter what the the claims are. Now, without question, Mormonism has been man-fluenced, I'll call it that, on the details of these things in their practices and in their doctrines. And we will get to these man-fluences as we study it in the course, course to come. And they do hinder their members from being truly free. This is without question. But in the least, they include Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm building a case here, and I'm going to get to the point. Do they also have a sordid history? Do they also have questionable leadership in that history? Do they also have an amalgamation of strange, conflicting, contradictory doctrines and practices? Do they put people in extreme religious bondage? Yes, 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 they do. And these things we're going to discuss over the course of time. But nevertheless, they include in their teachings, Jesus. I can hear some of you saying, yeah, but they had a founder who was involved with young girls. He was a pedophile. He took other men's wives in God's name. Yeah, that's true. Most other religions were founded and established in some way by men of the flesh. I mean, look at the Catholic Church. Come on. They, they have supposedly a direct lineage from Jesus to now. Look at what their priests have done. Look at what Rasputin did with Russian Orthodoxy. That guy was banging everybody back then. Okay? So Smith isn't alone in the sexual proclivities. Look at Jerry Falwell. Just look around. Not Jerry Falwell. Sorry, Jerry. Um, who's that guy who went off with the hooker? Was it Jerry Falwell? Was it Falwell? Lee Baker? Well, there's another one. Anyway, we, we, have, we have problems in our, in our shed here with our religious leaders. I can hear you saying, yeah, but Brigham Young taught Adam God doctrine and blood atonement, and he was a racist. Let me tell you something. The doctrinal positions of Orthodoxy and Catholicism over the years are just as wild. And wasn't Martin Luther a vapid uh, anti-Semite? He was. He was as anti-Semite as, as Brigham Young was racist. Martin Luther, the guy who launched the whole Protestant Reformation. Do we bring that up online and everything? No, we just focus that Brigham Young said this about throwing a spear between a black man and a white woman. And, and so let's focus on Brigham Young. Let's look at ourselves. Let's look in our own eyes for that beam before we try to get the splinter out of somebody else. Yeah, but Brigham Young, he put people to death. I mean, look at the Mountain Meadows massacre, right? Yes, he did. Is it right? No, bad, not good. But that's what organized religions do. John Calvin put people to death and had people put to death. 
you know? And, and what about the Inquisitions? They were killing people right and left. No, let's focus on the Fancher Party. 121, put to death. Yeah, it's horrible. But let's be fair if we're going to get into this. Yeah, but Mormons believe in Mother in Heaven and Catholics pray to Mary and light incense to her and sing songs to her. I mean, and Protestants would never do that. So where are we going to split this all up? Yeah, but Mormon, it's a legalistic cult. They put their members in bondage. What do you think every one of these fricking religions do? They put them in bondage monetarily. They put them in bondage doctrinally. They put them in bondage culturally. They put their hearts in bondage so they can't love everybody freely and openly because they are trying to have a proprietary product to control their membership. When will we wake up and say no more of this stuff? No more. All material, organized, objectified, institutional religions share the same guilt that the Mormon church shares. The Mormon church is just a little bit more repulsive because they put on airs of being so good. And that's a problem. We'll talk about that. But all of them, these people, well, not all of them, but mostly the Protestants will hit the streets with their signs and they go after their Mormons and attack them for the things I just mentioned. Where's the peace, love, understanding, patience, long-suffering from Christians toward the lost? I mean, doesn't it seem like if the LDS are so bad and so evil that we should extend to them more love, patience, and, and, and long-suffering rather than less online and in the streets? This is really important. Evangelicals have been attacking the Mormon people as evil non-Christian and children of the devil since its inception, and they've done nothing but grow. And we've mentioned it. Everyone talks about it. That's a fact. So we're doing something wrong here, you guys. We're doing something wrong. When will we unite and say no more of what we've been doing? Sure, in recent years, the LDS church has been hit. Um, but most of that's the result of information on the internet, intelligence among people, and their own inept responses to problems. <laughs> they have lost more people on their own than, than the attackers have ever gotten out of there. Something has to change, and I want to propose a change to you before we run out of time. It's radical. Most of you are going to hate it. it, but it will work if you think about it. But before I do, allow a couple more observations. Look at the board again. Seth, will you go to that? Consider the amount of focus and attention that many of those groups up on that board represented by the scribbling have focused on the LDS, the J-dubs, and the Seventh-day Adventists, especially the Mormons. Think about the focus and attention that they've done. The general motive for many of us who attack the Mormon church are because we were in it we were lied to and we're pissed off and we want to warn people. But for the never LDS Protestants that go out to Temple Square and Manti and get online and say all kinds of stuff, most of them are motivated by this idea that they need to prevent Mormons from going to hell. This is what is, is the motivator behind these people. We need to save them 
from going to hell. And they hit the streets and they do it in online. So first of all, whoever goes to hell, which is done away with, by the way, eschatologically from scripture, can be proven and is never what people say it is. But let's say there is a hell. Whoever goes there, that's not the individual's decision to decide what group or people group or, or whatever are going there. That's God's decision. So how about some humility when it comes to who's going to hell and who's not, even though it doesn't exist? And if there's ever a group where it can be debated on whether or not their members are going to hell or not, I think it would be the Mormons when it comes up to this group up here. If we're going to pick a group that is might be going to hell, everybody on there except the, uh, the Mormons will say it's the Mormons or the J-dubs or the Seventh-day. They're going to hell and maybe the Catholics. They, they might throw the Catholics in there too. If the Protestants are the ones who are just picking on everybody, right? Especially the Calvinists, right? So they're all going to hell. So let's go out on the street and hear me now as why we need to make a change. The Mormon church says it has about 15 million members. They might be lying. They say about 30% of those people are active. So that's four and a half million active members. They're the ones that matter. Let's take the figures true. Protestant evangelicals have deemed the LDS a major group whose souls are headed to hell and therefore they need to be reached mostly by ineffective measures. Got that? Now, let's consider the people groups in the world and institutions and religions that most groups on that board think are certainly going to hell. Most groups, Mormons included, think the people I'm going to mention to you now are certainly going to hell. The Muslims, they're all going to hell. I mean, this is just what we say, right? There are 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. There's four and a half million active Latter-day Saints. 400 times more souls in Islam than there are in Mormonism. 400 times the amount of active Mormon members. Hindus, they're all going to hell. I mean, Muslims, they don't have Jesus. Hindus, they've got no smattering of Jesus. 2.2 billion Hindus in this world that God created. That's 500 times more Hindus on this earth right now than there are active Mormons. Buddhists, more than a half a million. More than almost, I mean, 535 million. So almost a half a billion. More than half a billion. No Jesus. Going to hell. An eternal hell that's going to burn them up forever and ever. 100 times more than the Mormon active. Atheists. 500 million positive atheists in the world, according to some statistics I read. According to the street preachers and the like, they're all going to hell. 100 times more atheists in this world, 100 times more than active Latter-day Saints. LGBTQ, those frickers are certainly all going to hell. Right? There are estimates in the U.S. alone, 11 million LGBTQ. Ask any Protestant evangelical about the LGBTQ going to hell. So if we take these groups I just read to you and we add them up, there's 5 billion, 46 million people on earth today who this group absolutely believes are all going to hell. 
That represents 0.025 or one quarter of 1% of that number are LDS. And yet, we just can't seem to give them a pass. We have to include them, even though they have Jesus in their stuff, we have to include them as hellbound. Are the other institutions just jealous of the Mormons and their wealth and their power? I mean, they're, they're, the institution's sickening. I hate it. And we will go after the institution. It does terrible things. But are the other groups just jealous? I mean, wouldn't any dollar spent be better spent on going after the five billion other certainly hellbound people groups? Why pick on a group that's four and a half million strong? Can you see the idiocy? Can you see the disease that goes on between religious institutions and their place for power? They push this into their members. They get this mindset going by pulling out the strange and extravagant doctrines and practices of Mormons. Boy, people just can't wait when they're down there at Biola to come running up here to Utah on a spring break and go see what's going on with all the Mormons who are just certainly so weird and probably hellbound. And they could be going into a Muslim country and be dealing with people who are certainly, as far as they're considered, going to hell. This is not the stuff Jesus brought. This is not the stuff he gave. This is not the stuff God has done in this world through his son. This is the stuff of men and man. Now, granted, the LDS have historically set themselves up to be picked on, without a doubt. I mean, their founder did say that God said all other denominations are an abomination to him, and the missionaries go out and share that. That could tick you off. And they, they did institute polygamy as an eternal principle. And Joseph and Brigham and others were taking on multiple young wives and married women and everything else and doing their stuff with them. And, you know, they did ban blacks from receiving the priesthood, the false priesthood that they have. And they do push that they're the only true church down our throats. And they do walk about with a lot of piousness and, and arrogance about their holy living. I get that. But here's the gig, man. Christians of all people ought to be tolerant of people who come forward with those traits. We ought to be the ones who show patience and love and empathy toward those things in our LDS brothers and sisters rather than attacking them. And Christians show the same type of stuff too. All of this, including my own culpability in attacking some of them over the years, has opened my eyes to see the need for this radical change I want to suggest. But before I do, let me make something clear. There's nothing wrong with going after institutions that perpetuate bondage and lies and darkness and obfuscation and imprisonment for people who trust them. I believe in that completely. I'm not saying that we back off on institutions and keeping the heat on them. But there's... I mean, no material religion in my estimation, you know, empire has a right to have a footprint on this earth from what I understand God to have done through his son. None of them. 
and few are as diabolical as the LDS Church. But we have to distinguish between the institution and the people. In these churches, all of them, all of them, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, these, these, are people whom God has written his laws on their heart because of what Christ did. They are loving toward God and others. Believe it or not, pull the blinders off, go visit another country, and just kind of rub shoulders with some of these different people groups, and you're going to find that you're going to see some of the most loving people on earth, especially in comparison to many evangelicals. That's God writing on the hearts of people. It's because of his son. They may not know that or they might know it, but he has written on their hearts. We need to accept them, you see. So understand this. Additionally, understand because I don't like subterfuge. I don't like secrets. I don't like to plan something. I'm saying this out on the open. Anybody who's LDS can hear me say it. But what I'm going to propose is going to help emancipate LDS people in their lives to have a a relationship with uh, God through Christ, and it will also simultaneously help destroy the Mormon institution if we do it. If we do it, it will help destroy it. I can say that for a number of reasons. So the first thing I just want to suggest, and we got to wrap it up, we have these all these calls? Okay, I see three. Um, I'll get to Tracy, John, and John in just a second. But um, we need to get rid of this idea that Mormons are going to hell. It needs to just leave our vocabulary. And if you're a Christian and some zealot writes, Mormons are all going to hell, just jump in there and say, I don't think that's true. And I don't think you have the right to say it. Or I don't think you uh, are in a position to say it. Let's treat them with love. Okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is, is I think we need... It's radical to eliminate the idea that they're not Christian. And here's why. If we will embrace Mormonism as a form of Christianity, that's acceptable in this whole mess here. They have Jesus, resurrection, yeah, it's different and all that. But if we embrace them as Christian, what that will do is it will slowly open the doors for them to mesh with us. Now you get a a group of Latter-day Saints to mesh with a group of sold-out Christians who love. We are going to expose individuals to Christ like no other. We don't have that opportunity now because we've alienated them through rhetoric like you're going to hell and you're not Christian. So let's just give them the benefit of the doubt the way we give other groups the benefit of the doubt. And let's just start saying they're Christian. They're part of the the church. Let's bring them in. I want you to imagine the scene. You're at a park. There's 20 Catholics. There's 20 Protestants. They're all just allowing love to exist. And there's 20 Mormons. And the Mormons who are trained to do this start talking about Joseph Smith, the prophet. And they start talking about how he translated a book that's closer to any book more correct than any book on the face of the earth. The loving Catholics, the loving Christians are just going to say, oh, that's interesting. They're not going to get, oh my gosh, let me read it. I want to change. Like we, like pastors think. No, they're just going to hear that and they're going to say, well, how did he translate? Well, he looked at a rock and a hat. Conversation done. 
But the engagement between the Christians and the Mormons will continue as the Christians just show them love. When I came out of the Mormon church, I met three people who were all uh, evangelical Christians. And over the course of a couple years, they never, in daily conversation with one of the two or the three of them, never approached me with the subject of Mormonism. They only talked to me about Jesus and the love of Jesus and concepts in the Bible. They knew I knew Mormonism. They weren't going to try to bring that up and tackle that. So they just showed me love. And in time, I saw the truth by that association, you see. But when we automatically say they're hellbound, they're not Christian, because we think that somehow makes God happy with us. Oh, Sean, thank you for standing up for me and telling those poor, bad, evil Mormons they're not Christian. Thank you for doing that. Thanks for showing them hate and, and animus. Sean, you've done such a good job. Gold star on your robe. No. But if he sees that we love them, we embrace them as they are, like we, did, like we would anybody. You don't go up to a heroin addict who's in the gutter, out of it, lift his head up and scream, you're a loser, you're going to hell, you're not a Christian, die, and drop his head. You go and you put your arm around and you sit in the gutter with him and you talk to him about his life and you bring him home for a holiday and a meal and you try to see if he wants to recuperate and if he doesn't, you let him go. And if he does, you see if you can help him. That's how we help our Mormon friends. We can talk about the institution, you know, and things like this. Let the books and the websites do the institutional talking. But mano on man, is it mano? Man on man, let's show unconditional, absolute love and embracement of our LDS brothers and sisters. That means calling them that too. We, I don't think the Mormon church will like this. I think they're going to want to keep this us versus them mentality going because we get those people into our realm and they come and hang out long enough. The Mormon church is going to lose that myopic view that they've got them in and it will start breaking away the shackles in their mind and they will see Jesus for the first time. This isn't the way we've done it. We've made a mistake. So I just petitioned that tonight on Hear Me Out Part 2. Consider that. Let's get the ball rolling with it. And we do it online. We do it in every chance we can. And I think in time, that will cause that thing to fall. All right, let's go to the phone lines. We're going to Tracy on line one. Tracy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Oh, my God. I've been <laughs> watching you since the beginning of this year. And I've, I just found the Heart of the Matter on YouTube. Oh, you poor woman. Oh, I'm no longer poor after watching you oh. and the way you teach about Jesus. Let me just say. Awesome. Where do you live? Huh? Where do you live? I live in San Diego, California. Nice. Yes. I also am a Mormon that grew up on the East Coast in a military family. I see. So I wasn't in Mormon bubble central. I was exposed to real life trying to be a Mormon. Awesome. So have you come out? Come out of what? Mormonism? 20 years ago. Oh, good for you. And I, 
Can I tell you how I did it? Yeah. So I joined the Navy. I was a, a woman Mormon, and I decided to join the Navy just off of a whim. Huh. And then I learned what Mormonism was from the outside perspective. And then um, it's been a, I'm going to say a hell of a ride, but I've had Jesus in my life to show me the way, and it's been a blinding and enlightening to blinding to enlightening. It's been a, it's been a roller coaster ride. That's really wild. Uh, That's really yeah, amazing. Was, so what I want to say to all of it is everything started making sense when I listened to you. Um, things I put together, like with the family, and because I have a sister that's five years older than me, who's still deep in the Mormon religion. And the more what I've learned through monkey see, monkey do actions is the more I acted more Christ-like based on my understanding of what Christ was, not what the Mormon religion told me it was. And no matter how much my sister would try to tell me. You know, from her perspective, I just couldn't believe in Mormonism. But the more I started acting like Jesus or taking on his teachings, the more I would, like, embody what he was trying to teach, the more jealous she got and the more vicious she got with me. And everything that you claim, like, in war, like, like the war tactics, has been a holy battle in my relationship with me and my sister, and we look like twins. So wow. it's, I can go on and on about it, but you have, listening to you and the way you teach Jesus has helped me to understand my sister more and how to love her, even though she hurts me and doesn't know how she is hurting me. And I have, I have endless conversations with her, and she doesn't get it. You're doing it right, Tracy. You're doing it right. And you're an inspiration yeah. to our listeners because it's only by that love. You know, other she'll get the information from other places, but you're her sister. You show her that love. Yes, I, and I will. I continue and I will share it with anybody who wants to share it. Um, and I have many experiences where I made my own mistakes and I fit the mold of, like, daddy-issued daughter from the Mormon religion. I mean, I have all levels of, like, issues going on that I've had to face personally. Keep going, my sister. We're out of time. we got three other calls, but thank you so much for taking the time to call us. Yeah, keep, keep doing what you're doing because it really does work. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tracy. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Madeline from Tennessee. Madeline. Madeline, did Madeline hang up? Darn it. Miss Madeline. And uh, let's go to Nick in St. George, Utah. Everyone's hanging up. Let's try one more. John in Salisbury something, Salisbury Steak, New Jersey. No, it's Salisbury, Maryland, Turkey. (laughs) (laughs) How you doing, brother? How you doing, man? Good. Like I tell you, I only like to call you once in a while so that, you know, it doesn't seem like I'm, like, addicted to you or something. <laughs> we don't want that. How you been? How you been? I'm doing well. You? Good. I know I probably only got a couple minutes. I notice you're pretty, you're pretty good with your minutes. Yeah, we are, we are out of minutes, but go ahead, my brother. 
Okay, I'll do it really quick. I just love what you've done. When I heard the Elvis Costello story last week in Sri Lanka, I was just like, dude, I, I have so much I could tell you as I get to know your brother, but this is going to be a really interesting season with this because I've been LDS 50 years. I told you I was basically like you, but you know, still in the church. But what I didn't tell you is my grandma was Catholic and my stepdad was Southern Baptist and alcoholic. So I grew up with three religions, and I went to all three all my life. Wow. And you hit the nail on the head earlier. You said orthodoxy, man. When people do that letter of the law stuff, it, it just destroys people. I left church when I was a teenager because a guy came in and he said, Hey, Brother Humble, you're looking good today, but you don't have your white shirt and tie on. Yeah. It just embarrassed me. So I left for years and just hung out with the party kids at school. Yeah. And then when I was older, what I didn't tell you, I didn't want to say nothing. I'm going to tell it now because I want your show, I mean, it's already successful, but I want you to know there's some Latter-day Saints out there that really believe what you do about the first two commandments, not the doctrine, not the orthodoxy, but just really professing Christ Jesus and, and really nothing else yeah. beyond you know, brick and mortar and all that. So I went to the MTC in 1991. President Pinnaker was the president, if you remember. I don't know if you remember yeah. that. Yeah. And I was the bad boy of the church. I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I was there for a couple weeks. I was going to go to Denmark. And, man, I had just left the party train. I mean, I was the prodigal son to the tilt. And I was having some hard times. I was learning the Danish, but I had to go see him. I was like, uh, President Pinter, I don't know if I can make it, man. I said, I've been Latter-day Saint my whole life, but I've been a partier for years. And I just left, you know, my party buddies a year ago, and I'm in here with all these guys. And it, it was just blowing me away psychologically. You know what, brother, you know what President Pinter said to me? What? What you're doing, Brother Humble, is you're suffering from your sins of the past. That day I grabbed my bags. I went to the outer wall. You know how they have all the big walls around the MPC there in Provo? Yeah. I scaffolded the wall with my luggage, went back to my friends, all my party friends, and never went back to church for 30 years. Wow. People do not realize that, that was my Sri Lanka moment. Wow. And for the next 30 years, I hung out with homeless people. I went to churches all over the place, traveled all the United States. I was one of those guys that sold magazines door to door. You're from... Cali, so you know the guys that go to Walmart and say, "Hey, we're, we're on the Rock and Roll Express, and we're winning a thousand bucks in a trip." I did everything. I studied philosophy, went to libraries all over, and thirty years later, and then catching up with you on this show two years ago, I'm right back where I started. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have or what orthodoxy you come from, if you don't treat people with respect, it's way beyond hermeneutics and it's way beyond orthodoxy. It's about loving your neighbor and loving God, and that's it, brother. Right with you completely on that point, my brother. So now you know me better, brother. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing it with us, man. We'll talk again. Talk to you soon. Take care. Have a good week. God bless. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, Bye-bye. We're going to Alex from Tennessee really quickly. His wife was Madeline. Alex, what's up? Hey, Sean. Um, Hey, how's it going? Good. You? Doing pretty well. Um, So, yeah, my wife and I, we we had a question. We've been... We're, we're both active uh, in the church, go to the temple, pay tithing, all that stuff. Um, we've been researching a lot of, like, church history stuff recently, and um, it's just caused us to have a lot of doubts. And, you know, I'm a person who's had a lot of spiritual experiences in the church, some which have been very powerful. Um, but I've also, growing up in the South, in the Bible Belt, I've also had a lot of experiences with um, awesome evangelical Christians, Baptists, Protestants, just Protestants in general. Um, really, we just, we're struggling right now to know what is truth and, you know, how to discern, you know, between truth and error. Like, we've all had, we've both had spiritual experiences, but we've also been listening to 
a lot of your show and we just we don't really know how to discern between truth and error so anyways we just want to know your thoughts <laughs> hey alex uh first of all uh congratulations that you and your wife are together on this journey and uh you know the last thing that you ever want to happen and i know i'm talking to the choir and i know you know this but is for you to ever uh, destroy that relationship or her to ever destroy that relationship over this so that is first and foremost really beautiful Secondly, I also congratulate you for having uh, the desire to hear and understand truth wherever it comes from. And I think your spiritual experiences as a Latter-day Saint are uh, from the fact that God loves Latter-day Saints as much as he loves Protestants and Catholics and Buddhists and, and Muslims. And you are the recipient of his blessings. And, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't necessarily believe it was because you were Mormon, but I think it's because God loves you and he blessed you. The, the final thing is, in terms of knowing and finding truth, um, you know, it's, it's a really interesting subject on how we understand truth and where we get truth from. Our Protestant friends will tell us, you, you look at the Bible, and the Bible will tell you the truth. And in part, that's true, but the Bible also is interpreted a thousand different ways on almost any given subject. So I would suggest this, that you go to God with your wife, and you, you say, Heavenly Father, you know, we are seeking for truth and we don't really want to trust men. We don't want to trust Sean. We don't want to trust any uh, priesthood leaders. We want to trust you. And we're asking you to show us and reveal yourself and reveal the truth. And then he will start to do that in your life. You'll see it. And, and you can make mistakes. You can be misled. You can make. But if you keep that focus on him and his spirit, that will help you understand the things you read and the things you hear. One final point, Alex, for you and Madeline. And that, Madeline, that is this. Um, I say one final point now. I can't remember what it was. Uh, um, the truth, the, uh, asking God, not listening to men, trusting in him. Um, oh, the spirit fruit, according to scripture, is love. And so if you come across a teaching or a doctrine and you wonder about its truth, see if incorporating that doctrine or, or idea into your life enhances your agape Christian love for others or detracts from it. If it enhances your love for God and man, you're probably on the right track. And when I mean my love, I mean in the agape sense, not the sexual or friendly or family sense. <laughs> so if right. those doctrines that you are learning are enhancing your love for God and man, you're probably on the right track with you and your wife. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, John. You're welcome. And thanks so much for calling. Hey, hey wait a second. Uh, wait a second. Stay on the line, Alex. Danny wants... Danny is a guy who talks to people uh, all the time for us, and he'd like to talk to you. So hold on, and Mary's going to talk to you again. Okay, that'd be great. Thanks. All right, thanks. Good to meet you. You too. Okay, bye. bye. Okay, on hold. Uh, next week, part three of uh, Hear Me Out, and we're going to cover another element that I think needs uh, could be understood. And just to let you know, we've gone over 10 minutes already, but I just want to let you know, coming up, we are doing four interviews stockpiling those interviews 
uh, with people who have a important um, hand in the LDS Christian world. Angela Kelly is politically involved here in Utah. She understands the political machinations of uh, the LDS uh, powerhouse. Uh, Ethan Kroc is a filmmaker. He's making a film right now called Anti-Mormon. He's going to be with uh, us for three parts. And then, uh, of course, Denver Snuffer, who is the leader of what they call the Snufferite. I don't think Denver appreciates that. They call it the Snufferite movement. He has quite a few people who have left Mormonism proper and are following him and his ideas. And then we have a street preacher who's sort of scheduled named Paul Gee. He's one of the guys who goes to Temple Square and screams at him and talks about them going to hell. So it's going to be interesting to have him on. All of that's coming up in September, October, and November. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.